welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. If talking to your neighbor seems hard, then at least praying for them should be easy, right? That, of course, assumes we all pray regularly and understand the value and power of prayer. Teaching team member Caleb Click continues the series Neighboring Where You Live with this message entitled Pray for Your Neighbor, which covers Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 38. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Well, good morning, Perimeter Church. It's good to be with you. My name is Caleb Click. If you don't know me, I'm the young adults pastor here. Uh, Turn with me in your Bible, if you would, to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 35. Uh, And as we turn to this, you know, Mark's gospel is unique. Uh, Mark's gospel reads like you've been placed on a roller coaster, and instead of getting that kind of slow upward climb on a hill where you kind of prepare yourself for what's coming, Mark's gospel starts you off at the top and then just drops you. From the very first verse, he says, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Buckle up. John the Baptist appears, proclaiming the coming of a Messiah who is going to be greater than he is, who is going to baptize not just with water but with the Holy Spirit. And John is going about baptizing with the baptism for the repentance of sins. And as he speaks of this Messiah, no sooner does he do this than Mark says Jesus shows up. And Jesus comes to John and he's baptized. And as Jesus is baptized, the Father speaks from heaven and says, This is my Son. And then the Spirit descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove and leads Jesus into the wilderness where he's immediately tempted by Satan. The beginning of a battle that will wage all the way through the pages of that gospel. And when Jesus walks out of that wilderness, having been tempted but not having fallen, Jesus starts his ministry. He calls the disciples. He begins to preach the gospel of the kingdom that has come in his person. He begins to heal. He begins to cast out demons. And in the verses just before our text today, there is a crowd that is gathered around Simon and Andrew's house in Capernaum. People are bringing their sick and their needy and their broken. They are bringing the demon-possessed because they have heard that in that house dwells a man who speaks and the demons tremble. And so you'd think, with all the city beating on his doors, with all the city gathered, that Jesus would do what maybe you and I would do. He would seize a hold of that momentum and begin to build a movement. That he would go, here we go, I've got the people, I have their attention, this is where I'm going to plant. But Jesus does what he so often does, he takes all of our expectations and he flips them on their head. Jesus looks at all those people, and after healing them for a night, Jesus turns on his heel and he walks away. Here's what the text says, starting in verse 35. In rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate, a wilderness place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Father, we come, we come to you and we confess that you are a God of mercy. 
And we pray that as we engage with your word this morning, that you would pour that mercy out on each one of us. That, Lord, through your spirit, you would make your word a sword that cuts to the division of soul and of spirit and of bone and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the hearts. And, Lord, I pray as you do your surgery, as you cut into our hearts, that, Lord, you would apply the balm of the gospel in deeper ways than we could have ever known or dreamed. Show us Jesus. We pray you do this. Speak now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been with us these past few weeks, we have been in the middle of a sermon series called Neighboring Where You Live, where we're asking these two basic questions. Who does Jesus say that your neighbor is? And second, how does Jesus call you to love them? And as we've asked those questions, we've been looking at the life of Jesus, the one who is the embodiment of that commandment to love your neighbor as you love yourself in human flesh, and we've been going, what did Jesus do when he walked on the earth? In week one, Jeff took us to the parable of the Good Samaritan, and he pointed us to a Jesus who sees us in our need and in our brokenness, and out of compassion for his people, bends down and picks us up and carries us home and who calls us to go and to do likewise. In week two, Bob pointed us to a Jesus who sits down and eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners, who is not ashamed to call people like us his brothers and his sisters, who invites us to his table and feeds us with the richest of food, and again calls us to go and do likewise. And both of those things are absolutely essential to the life and the ministry of Jesus. They're the overflow of a heart that beats with love for his people. But as I've listened these past few weeks, and I've thought ahead to this sermon, I've started wondering if maybe we started in the wrong place. If maybe there is something that is as essential to the life of Jesus as seeing people and eating with people. That maybe there is something that is just as much an overflow of his love for others, something that undergirds the entirety of his earthly ministry and continues to characterize his heavenly ministry, and it's this, Jesus prays, and he prays constantly. Mark, he tells us in verse 35 that Jesus in the face of all of this pressing need, Jesus does something very, very intentional. The crowd has gathered around this house. Jesus has been ministering to them late into the night. He's tired. He's worn down. He's been serving all of these people. And in this house, Simon and Andrew's house, you have to picture all the people that are crammed inside this tiny space. You have Jesus, Simon, Andrew, their families, the other disciples, and whatever remnant of that crowd is still left over from the night before. And Jesus, the text says, rises very early in the morning while it's still dark. In the days before you have your iPhone and you can turn on your flashlight, and Jesus tiptoes around their bodies, and he sneaks out the front door, and he goes into the wilderness to find a desolate place for one reason and one reason only, to pray. To sit in the stillness of the morning in the presence of his heavenly Father. And what you see in that moment, it's not an anomaly, it's not an aberration, 
It's not some weird thing that Jesus one, does one time. Rather, this is the pattern and the practice of our prayer-bathed Savior. Jesus prays constantly, and you see it every single place in his ministry. In Luke 5, it says that whenever the crowds would come near, whenever they would begin to press and they would grow and they would begin to say, Jesus, we need this, Jesus would always do this. Luke 5, verse 16, he would withdraw to desolate places and he would pray. Luke 3 says that Jesus prayed before his baptism. Luke 6 says that before Jesus chose his disciples, he went up on a mountain and he prayed all night. Matthew 14 says that Jesus prayed before he fed the 5,000 and then after he fed the 5,000. Luke 9 says that before Jesus says to the disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you think I am? Having seen all the things that I'm doing in all of my ministry, who am I? It says Jesus was praying alone. He prays before his transfiguration, that moment when his glory is revealed to Peter and James and John. He prays at the Last Supper as he breaks the bread and he shares the wine. And in his last moments on earth, as Jesus is approaching the cross and he knows he's going to die, that at any moment Judas is coming with a band of men to bind his hands and to lead him to his death, Jesus doesn't go and find a large crowd. He doesn't try to preach one more epic sermon. He doesn't find the neediest group of people and just start healing as many people as he can as fast as he can. Jesus does something else. He sneaks away to a garden in the middle of the night and he prays. And then Luke 24 tells us something absolutely stunning. The resurrected Jesus stands before his disciples and he raises up his hands, verse 50, and he blesses them. He prays for them. And verse 51 says that as he is praying for them, the Father raises him up into heaven. And what Hebrews 7 and Romans 8 tell us is that it is a prayer that has never, ever stopped. What you see in Mark 1 verse 35, it's not an abnormality. It's not an aberration. It is one of the defining characteristics of the life and the ministry of Jesus, a reality that continues to pervade his ministry, not just on earth, but in heaven. Jesus prays constantly, which should immediately make all of us go, why? And why is something that is so pervasive in the life of Jesus so scarce in our lives? You know, if I was to stand up here and say that I am the king of prayer, I'd be lying to you. I struggle with it. If there's something that doesn't come naturally to me, I'd say prayer is probably pretty high on the list. It's easy for me uh, to wake up in the morning. It's easy for me to open up my Bible and to study. It's easy for me to sit and read books of theology. But prayer, prayer doesn't come that naturally. Prayer is something that I have to fight for. Prayer is something I have to be intentional about. Uh, even this week... As I'm writing a sermon on prayer, and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the hours and I'm realizing that they're dwindling away, knowing that I should pray first, I sit there and I start trying to say, Father, help me in this. And the next thing I know, my mind is wandering down this opposite track and I'm thinking about some other things. And then about 20 minutes later, I realize I've been working on the sermon, but I actually forgot to do the thing I intended to do at the start, pray. And I know that I'm not the only person that struggles with that. 
prayer is not something that is natural to most of us. Prayer is something that's hard. And when I think about why, I think it's this. Because we fundamentally do not believe what Jesus himself has said is true. That apart from prayer, we are powerless. And that prayer itself is powerful. Jesus believes it. And Jesus believes it for himself. Now you might hear that and go, well, how does Jesus believe it for himself? Jesus isn't powerless. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the one who speaks and the storms stop. But I want you to notice something in the scriptures about the life and the ministry of Jesus. According to the scriptures, Jesus is fully man and fully God in one person. But in his earthly ministry, Jesus fundamentally lives in his human nature. As a man who is fully and completely dependent upon the Father and upon the Spirit. He is the one who stands in your place, not just in his work on the cross when he dies for your sins, but with every single second of his earthly life. And you see this reality running through every one of the Gospels. Have you ever stopped and wondered why Jesus, and all the Gospels, does this really weird thing? He goes to John and he undergoes a baptism for the repentance of sins. Does that strike you as weird? It strikes John as weird. John goes, you're supposed to be baptizing me because Jesus doesn't have any sin. What's Jesus doing? Jesus is saying, though I am the sinless one, I will stand in the place of the sinful and I will be their representative and I will be the one who bears their judgment and I will give to them the perfect repentance they could never have themselves. I will stand in their place with all of my life. And then what happens next? He goes to be tempted where Satan tries to screw it all up. Why do you think he says to Jesus when he's starving in the wilderness in Matthew 4, if you're the son of God, command this stone to turn into bread. Satan knows he's the son of God. He's not asking him to prove to him something he doesn't already know. He's instead saying to Jesus, you're God. Why would you suffer like these people? You don't have to be hungry. You don't have to be thirsty. You don't have to feel pain. You don't have to experience death. You can take these stones and turn them into bread. Just do it and it'll all be over. And Jesus, Jesus does for us what the first Adam didn't. Where the first Adam was tempted with food and ate the food because he wanted to be like God, Jesus is the one who, though he actually is God, as Philippians 2 says, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but took the form of a servant coming in the likeness of human flesh. And Jesus said to Satan what Adam should have but didn't. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. Why is Jesus... In his temptation, here with his prayers, and over and over again in his ministry, why is he always out in the wilderness? Because where Adam is the one who was created in paradise but then cast into the wilderness because of sin, Jesus is the one who willingly leaves paradise and enters the willingness to bring his people out. Jesus is the one 
who with the entirety of his earthly ministry is standing in your place for your sins and doing for you what you could not do for yourselves. He's the one who made himself powerless for the sake of the powerless. Jesus prays because he knows that apart from that prayer, even as you and I are powerless, so too is he. Jesus prays because as you and I are dependent upon Jesus, Jesus is dependent upon the Father. And so Jesus prays, and he prays constantly. But he prays not only because he knows that apart from prayer, he is powerless. Jesus prays constantly because he knows that prayer is actually powerful. Jesus knows when he speaks, these aren't just words. They're not just empty phrases that he tosses up to the void and then nothing happens. Jesus knows that when he prays, the Father hears, the Father moves, and the Father changes space and time and history. Things happen. And when Jesus invites us to pray, he says the same thing is true for you. Over and over, Jesus says this thing that we always hear and then we don't believe. John 14, he says this, Whatever you ask in my name... This I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, what do we do when we hear that? We immediately start going for the exception, right? As long as it's according to his will. As long as it's what's best for us right now. As long as it fits with our ultimate need. And we start qualifying away a promise of incredible grace. We do what Adam did. We miss the forest of God's grace for the limitation of one tree. Jesus says prayer is powerful. And whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. And if Jesus, the perfect Son of God, if even Jesus, all of his earthly life depended upon prayer, how much more should you and I? We don't pray. Because no matter what we confess with our lips, no matter what we have said in our catechisms, in our hearts and with our lives, we fundamentally do not believe what Jesus has said is true. That apart from prayer, we are powerless. And that prayer itself is powerful. This past week, Jeff Summers came and spoke to our staff about something that he and the watershed team are doing where they're inviting, they're inviting as many of us as want to be a part to join with them in doing something I think is absolutely beautiful, to pray every hour of the day for one month for one specific school. They're going to the Father and they are saying, we want to see you move. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done. And we know it doesn't come by human strategy. It doesn't come by human power. Instead, it comes when we fall on our knees as the powerless before the one who is actually powerful. And Jesus says, that's what I need. He prays constantly. But Jesus, he does something more. Jesus doesn't just pray constantly. Jesus' prayers are prayers consumed with the needs of those that he has made his neighbors. He prays for his neighbor. You know, Mark, Mark doesn't tell us in these verses exactly what Jesus has prayed, but he hints at it pretty strongly. Jesus pulls away at this moment, 
And the Peter and the disciples, they come looking for him, and they're confused because why wouldn't you be? Jesus snuck away in the middle of the night. He goes to a desolate place, doesn't tell you where he's going, and leaves behind the crowd. And they show up, and they say, look, everyone's back there. Why are you out here? Let's go back. Let's go to where the ministry is, where the need is. And Jesus says this very interesting thing in verse 38. He says, let us go on to the next towns, just ignores their question, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. Now that last little phrase, that was why I came out, that's an ambiguous phrase, and I think deliberately so. Jesus is saying, I went out from Capernaum, I came out of that city because there is something else that God my Father has called me to do. And I would rather do that than do what looks on the surface like a need. But he's also saying this. He's saying the reason I'm in this world, that I came out from the Father into the brokenness and the fallenness of this place, the reason I'm in the wilderness, it was for this reason. It was to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom in my person. The forgiveness of sins, the grace of the gospel, and the love of a God who would take the entirety of this world and make all things new. The disciples, they're looking at the immediate need of a crowd in one place and at one time, and Jesus, he is looking at an infinitely greater need for an infinitely greater people over all space and all time, and he is stepping out into the wilderness to pray, Father, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, and do it now. Which means Jesus is praying for people. And what Mark hints at, the rest of the Gospels, they make explicit. You see Jesus praying for the spiritual needs of people and the physical needs of people. You say, see him praying for those who are already among his people and those who are still outside. You see him praying for those people specifically by name and also people generally by group. You see him pray for those who love him, as he does in Luke 22 when he turns to Peter and says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, to grind you up, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And then that same Jesus turns around and he prays not just for those who love him, he prays for those who hate him. As he's hanging on the cross, he looks down on the people who have just placed him there, who are even at that moment mocking and reviling him. And what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But the one prayer that captures my attention most is John 17. John 17 is this text of scripture that we call the high priestly prayer because in this moment Jesus pulls back the veil and he invites us to listen in on a conversation that has been going on between the Father and the Son for all of eternity. It is a prayer that the Father would be glorified in the Son, a prayer that drips with love for people. Jesus, in this prayer, he looks at his disciples. These men that he knows, when they see him crucified, are going to despair. Who are going to wonder if they have believed in vain, if maybe Jesus wasn't who they thought he was. Who, after he is resurrected, they're going to be sent out into a world that will hate them even as it hated him, who will persecute them and 
for most of them, will end up killing them. And Jesus, because he loves his disciples, Jesus turns to his Father and he prays that the Father would guard them, that the Father would keep them, that the Father would make them one even as he and the Father are one, that the Father would set them apart in the truth, that they would be holy as he is holy. And can you imagine that moment? Sitting in the presence of Jesus and listening to him as he prays to his Father in heaven for you. And then to be able to look back years later as you are suffering on that prayer and, be, and saying, I know that the Father heard that prayer and the Father has answered that prayer. Can you imagine the encouragement that would be? But Jesus goes further. He doesn't just pray for the disciples sitting right in front of him. Jesus prays for the disciples who are still to come. Look at this. John 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one even as the Father and I are one, so that the world, verse 23, may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Catch this. Because this is sweet. 2,000 years ago, standing in front of the 12 disciples, Jesus prayed for you. I came to Christ after my freshman year of college at the University of Georgia, and it was the end of a, a long and tumultuous battle where I ran as far and as fast from Jesus as I possibly could. And when I look back, on that time period of my life, there's one thing that has, over the years, grown more and more precious to me, and it's this. My parents, who loved me through the entirety of that process, my parents prayed for me. They prayed for me before I was born. They prayed for me when I was a little boy. They would sit beside me in bed, and they would pray for me in my future. They would sit at the table, and they would pray for me as we ate our meals. They would pray for me when I was running from them. They would pray for me when I was angry with them. They would pray for me even when I said I hated them. And what I've discovered in the years since then, especially since I came back here to Perimeter, is that many of you were praying for me too. And you were praying for your neighbor. And you were lifting me up. I'm here today because of those prayers. But I'm also here because of a prayer that happened long before those did. The prayer that Jesus Christ lifted up in the presence of his disciples for those who were still to come. And if you were a believer in Jesus Christ, then so are you. You are a living breathing answer to a prayer that Jesus Christ prayed for his neighbor almost 2,000 years ago. And you stand in the midst of a room of answered prayers. We have a Savior who loved his neighbor not just with his life, not just with his death, but who loved them with his prayers and who invites you and I to join with him and to do the same. You know, have you ever thought about the content of the Lord's Prayer? Jesus is inviting you in the entirety of that prayer to echo his prayers. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth 
in my family, in my house, in my neighborhood, in my city, in my state, in my country, in this world, on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, come and have your way. Do what we cannot in the midst of this fallen, broken world. Give us this day our daily bread. Pray for the physical needs of others, even as Jesus broke the bread in front of the 5,000 and prayed for them. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Pray as Jesus did, not just for your own sins, but for the sins of others, even as he did on the cross, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pray as Jesus did. Not just that you would be delivered from temptation, but that your neighbor would too. Pray as he prayed for Peter. Pray as he has prayed for you. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, to grind you up. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. Jesus invites you to join with him and pray, not just for souls, but to pray for persons embodied persons with real needs and real wants and real desires and to love them not just with your lives but even with your prayers. Jesus prays constantly and he prays for his neighbor. Now you may be sitting there and going, we've already said we stink at prayer so where does that leave me? Well let's get practical for just one second. Four things. One, follow the pattern of Jesus and pull away. Find places in your life and say, this spot, this is for prayer because I know it is a priority and I know that I am powerless without it. Second, if you don't have the words to speak, Jesus says, that's great, I provided that for you too. Pray as I do, pray the scriptures. Pray the Psalms as the Old Testament and the New Testament church did. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray the prayers of Jesus. Pray the prayers of the epistles and pray them for your neighbor and let the Holy Spirit guide you as you do. Three, as you are seeing your neighbor with Jesus' eyes and you are eating with your neighbor even as Jesus eats with you, find out what it is that's going on in their lives. Their needs, their wants, their desires, their fears and their worries and lift them up. And lastly this, do not disparage small prayers. Jesus doesn't. As Jesus says in Matthew 6, you are not heard because of your many words. You're heard because you come before the throne of a father. Jesus says pray constantly. Pray as those whose hearts are consumed with the needs of your neighbor. But lastly this, pray confidently. In John 11, Jesus is standing in front of the tomb of his friend Lazarus. And Lazarus, Lazarus has been dead for four days at this point. So if they made a mistake and they you know, thought he was dead and he was really asleep, at this point he's, he's pretty much dead. There's no way he's making it out of this alive. And we all know how this story goes. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus comes out. But as we read this story, as we hear this story, there's a piece of it that we skip by a little too quickly. Jesus, before he invites Lazarus to step out of the tomb, Jesus turns his eyes to his father and he prays. And he says this, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew, I know that you 
always, not sometimes, you always hear me. Jesus isn't praying as one who throws his words to the skies and hopes that maybe somewhere out there there's someone who cares. Jesus isn't praying like somebody desperate to find hope who has no hope. Jesus praises one who knows that every sound that issues forth from his lips, be it a cry of joy or of sorrow, it reaches the ear of his heavenly Father in heaven and he is heard. He prays with a confidence that only a child could have before their father as the perfect son to a perfect father. I have three little girls, uh, twins named Lucy and Alice who are almost 20 months old and then a three-year-old named Mary Neal. And of my girls, Mary Neal is the one who can actually speak at this point. The other girls, they grunt and they make noises, but it's a little harder to have real deep interaction. Uh, Mary Neal, she can talk and talk up a storm. And that means she has requests. And as a three-year-old, those requests are kind of insane. Uh, It's daddy. There's a tiger in my room. Do you want to go hide with me? Daddy, uh, I want to put on my princess dress. And and after you put on the princess dress, can you put on my tutu underneath it because I need it as a bathing suit, which I didn't know it functioned as. Put that on. And then can you turn on Let It Go so I can dance to it because that's princess music. And and then, Daddy, wouldn't it be perfect if you danced with me too? Uh, Daddy... I want raisins. Mary Neal, you ate the raisins. I want raisins. Uh, Daddy, I want to get in your lap. Daddy, I want to swing. Daddy, I want food. Daddy, I want to climb. Daddy, throw me in the air. And she has request after request after request. And as a dad, a decent one, I hope, my heart is to answer those requests with a yes whenever I can. Whenever it doesn't hurt her, Whenever I have the ability, whenever there is not something better that I could give her, I will say yes to my little girl. But I've noticed something with Mary Neal. You put her in a room full of people she doesn't know. And the requests, they may not stop, but they get less bold. And they get less frequent. And sometimes they go away completely. What's the difference? It's because she knows that she is my daughter and I am her father. And she has access to me in a way few other people do. Do you realize that in Jesus Christ you have access to an infinitely better father who has loved you with an infinitely greater love? and who hears your prayers and answers those prayers with a delight that no earthly father could ever compare to. Frederick Bruner is one of my favorite commentators in the Bible. He says that the whole joy of the gospel, all of it, every single bit, is contained in four words that Jesus teaches you to pray. Our Father in heaven. Jesus is saying, when you come in my name, by faith in my work, as one who's not trusting in themselves, but trusting in my work on your behalf, and as a citizen of my kingdom, my Father becomes yours. And the same confidence that I have that he hears me, that is your confidence as well. 
You can utter out prayers that no one on earth ever hears. You can sit in the morning and you can stumble through phrases that maybe are incomprehensible even to you. You can take all of your needs and you can pour them out and Jesus says you can do so with absolute confidence. A confidence beyond a three-year-old little girl with her dad because you come into the presence of a perfect father who hears you, who loves you, and who knows how to give not just good gifts but perfect ones. As Paul Miller says, Jesus is not just the savior of your souls, he's the savior of your prayers too. May we be the prayer-bathed people of a prayer-bathed savior who pray constantly, who pray for their neighbor, and who pray with the confidence of little children, the confidence that Jesus himself has purchased for us with his precious blood. And as we do, May we see the hand of God do among us things that we would not know to ask for and we would not have the minds to imagine or conceive. And we ask all these things in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus. Amen. Father, we come to you this morning as a people hungry, as a people who are needy, but also a people who are thankful that, Lord, you let us come to you not as orphans but as beloved children. And we pray, Lord, that we would live in that identity and in that reality as those who know that all that we need you have provided in full. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.